Well, we've arrived at Palm Sunday, which is the start of Holy Week. It's our annual celebration of the very core events of our faith, the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're solemnly called in this week to remember those events, but to remember in a biblical sense. The word remember has a much stronger sense in the Hebrew Bible than it does for us. Take the book of Genesis. It means, it means to take action, to make present. But God remembered Noah, and he made a wind blow over the earth, and the water subsided. God remembered Noah. He didn't recall him. He remembered him. He took action. Told later on in Genesis, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow. With Rachel, we're told God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and opened her womb. We're not... We're not summoned in Holy Week to recall the events of the life of Christ. We're called upon to remember them. What does that look like in our own lives? What's the difference recall and remember? We recall the friend that I remember that friend back in college and high school I haven't spoke to to 10 years. Remember is we're on the phone. This is Stephen. That's the difference between recall and remember. Now, the Palm Sunday liturgy points the way of how do we make a good Holy Week? How do we do that? First of all, we know there's something very different about this liturgy. First of all, the palms, the procession with the palms, of course, but something else. This is the only liturgy that has two Gospels. The only time we'll have a Eucharist with two Gospels. And not only that, if you had to choose two Gospels that were more at polar opposites from each other, it couldn't be anything but these two. In our first gospel, triumphal entry into Jerusalem, Jesus is welcomed into the holy city in triumph. In his passion and death, he's driven out of the holy city in shame. In the first, he's recognized for what he is with shouts of praise from the crowds. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In the passion... It's shouts of condemnation and denials from the crowd. Crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. Two such different readings. Yet both passages share the same theme, which is why they're so important, why we read them together. Jesus is king. The triumphal entry, we're told... They sing, they, they chant, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord in Luke's account. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They welcome like the King David being welcomed to Jerusalem. And when the Pharisees say, You can't let people say these things, what is the Lord's response? He said, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Yes, we're, wel- we're right to welcome Jesus as king on Palm Sunday. But you know, the, the role of a king in the ancient world, wasn't to just have processions and triumphs this way. It was to actually win victories, win victories for his people, preserve and save his people. That's what a king did. And that was about to happen on Good Friday, not Palm Sunday. Good Friday is when Jesus won the victory truly as king of Israel. He had the victory forever over sin and death. That was his victory. That's why we see in the account, the soldiers and Pilate actually recognized the fact Jesus is king. Ironically, the soldiers, it said they clothed him in a purple cloak and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on. They said, hail, king of the Jews. They knew he was king of the Jews, a crown. They hailed him king of the Jews. 
Normally, Jesus is silent in front of Pilate, but there's one time he speaks. Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. You have said so. Also, remember, Pilate writes an inscription on the cross, the king of the Jews, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And the leaders come and say, well, you need to change this. This isn't appropriate. He said, what I've written, I've written. There's a truth in that, king of the Jews. So how can we reconcile these very, very different views of kingship, the triumphant entry into Jerusalem, and a lonely death abandoned on the cross? How do we reconcile those? Well, Jesus truly is the king of glory. We're right, again, to celebrate his royal triumph. Today we said, lift up your heads, O gates, be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. But the true moment, again, of his glory is going to be not Palm Sunday, but Good Friday. Jesus, right before his passion, said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, and he was speaking of his death on the cross, to be lifted up, to be glorified. That was the moment. Why? Because God is love. And the perfect manifestation, God was never more God than at the cross. What does perfect love look like? That's the cross. That was the victory. We say in the prayer book, he stretched out his arms of love on the hard wood of the cross. He held nothing back out of love for the Father and of love for us. That's all true, but Holy Week's about much more. Jesus tells us when he predicts his passion, he says that our path is his, his path is our path. He says immediately after he predicts his passion, he tells the disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This is not something to sit back and admire. He calls all of us to follow. Jesus' path is our path. That is the message. We all, Jesus took up his cross, but he calls on us, each one of us, if anyone would, would come after me, let him take up his cross. It's the whole story of our Christian life. Paul famously says in 2 Corinthians 3, but all of us with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, and he's speaking of Christ on the cross, are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory. That's what glory looks like. That's what the victory looks like. That's when love is most love. So how do we worthily enter into the mysteries of Holy Week? Well, again, we have to resist the temptation to be observers. We're not called, we're not, we're not, our mission is not to recall but to remember in the biblical sense, real, here and now, to take action in our lives here and now. We're not called to admire, we're called to imitate. They've used a wonderful example of this in Hebrews. Hebrews compares it to athletic competition with a race. And Jesus has, run the has actually run the first race, and we're up. And everyone is around us, all who come before are cheering us on. And it says, therefore, being surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus' race is our race. So what does it look like? What does it look like to follow Jesus? What does it actually look like to take up our cross? Well, that's what we see in Holy Week. 
On Maundy Thursday, we're told with Jesus actually does the, the task of a slave. He actually washes his apostles' feet. He says, do you understand what I've just done? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right to do so, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do as I've done to you. But that's not the end of the story. Monday, Thursday isn't a call to serve. It's a call to be a servant. Those are completely different. Remember, we're told in the Philippians passage, Jesus himself took the form of a servant. But we're saying that what's the difference? A ser- serving is something we do. Being a servant is something we are. It makes all the difference in the world. Again, service is something we do. Being a servant is something we are. That's what Jesus did. Not a passing moment, a whole being there for others completely. That's what it is to be a servant. Jesus also told us on Maundy Thursday, we call it Maundy because it's from Latin, mandatum means the new commandment. He said, just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. So Good Friday shows us what that looks like. Jesus held nothing back. Our passage we have, I want to repeat a few of those lines from Philippians. It says, we see on the, it says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped at. He emptied himself. He took the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So love doesn't mean just giving. Love means giving and not holding anything back. All the difference in the world. Love isn't just giving. It's giving and holding nothing back. That's what we see in the cross. It's also a love that gives with no thought of ever receiving. Jesus told us, love your enemies and do good and land, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. For you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. That's what God's love is like. A love that gives and expects nothing back, kind to the ungrateful and the evil. How is this possible? How can we possibly be a servant rather than serving? How can we possibly give and not hold something back? With men, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. And the answer is at Maundy Thursday. Because we're not alone. We forget at Christmas we talk about Emmanuel, Jesus meaning God with us. Jesus is still Emmanuel. He's not only with us, but he actually feeds us with his own life. Food for the journey. He nourishes with his very life. This is what makes it possible to be a servant, not just to serve, to give and hold nothing back. Nothing else will do it except Jesus himself, his own life. He compares himself in John 6 to manna in the desert, food for the journey for the children of Israel. So in Eucharist, we actually are fed with the Lord's own life. Jesus said, my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the loving Father sent me and I live because of the Father, whoever feeds on me will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate, they die. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. 
Jesus himself not just walks beside us, Jesus gives us his own life. This is what makes the new commandment possible. The church loves the story with Elijah. You remember where he's there alone in the desert and a loaf and water appear to him. This has always been taken to the Eucharist. So the angel of the Lord came and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And it said, Elijah rose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. It's that food that will bring us to the mountain of God. Eat and drink and walk in the strength of that food, even to the mountain of God. You know, the Gospels, when they discuss Holy Eucharist, they use four different verbs. They talk about taking, giving thanks or blessing, breaking and giving. And when we have the breaking of the bread every Eucharist, we might think, well, breaking is a pretty practical thing. You can't eat a loaf until you break it so people can share it. But why is it such a ceremony? Why do we break the bread? Because we're reminded that it's at a cost. It was only by Christ's life being broken. It's only at the cost of, the cost of Christ's life that he can give us his life. That's why we break the bread, saying this comes at a cost. We say, we say Christ, our pastor, Passover lamb, is sacrificed for us. But we're then told, this is from 1 Corinthians 5, we're then told it's more than It's an invitation for us to do something, to respond by offering ourselves as well. So it's not just Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast to join with ourselves in Jesus' sacrifice. So these words sort of sum up Holy Week, don't they? What's Holy Week about? Jesus has taken up his cross and he's died for us. And we are each invited individually to take up our own cross and to follow him. And what does that look like? It looks like dying to self, which what does dying to self mean? It means truly to stop serving and start being a servant. To stop just giving some things, to give it all, to hold nothing back. But all, how is this possible? All the while, like the manna in the wilderness, he feeds us. And that food is his own life. So how do we worthily celebrate the mysteries of Holy Week? Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Let us keep the feast.